Welcome to On the Bubble Podcast, episode 41. I'm your host, Sabasa J. Ueda, and with me is my co-host, Yuki Lee Bender. Today, we're going to be doing an episode on our Monarch series for Prism. So we're going to be talking about the gameplay, key cards, equipment, attack actions, defense, just everything we can think about Prism. We're going to be talking about that today. But before we do that, how was your week, Yuki? My week's been really good. I finished report cards yesterday, which is Monday. And so that means I'm pretty much done. Technically, students can still hand stuff in late, and there's like a little bit that I need to go back and do, but I'm pretty much wrapping up the school year. Classes are done as of today, so just kind of winding down, get to pack up, and the next couple of days should be pretty chill, and then I'm off for the summer. Also, went to Armory on Monday, and very cool, seen uh, quite a few new players, some people who have quite a bit of experience in the game and have moved here and also um, just some brand new people play, picking up blitz decks and playing them and trying them out and it just yeah the, the last little while when i've been going to armory i just feel like there's new people like pretty regularly which is really cool to see it feels like the game's really picking up speed here how has your week been jay yeah my week's been pretty interesting i actually missed out on the armory yesterday because uh, i was filming a youtube video for one of my friends I ended up uh, shaving off all my hair again, and uh, I'm bald again. So yeah, it's it's it feels it feels weird again. It feels weird again having no hair. <laughs> yeah, you just kind of walked in and were like, "Oh, you're bald again, huh?" Yeah, uh, hundred dollars. Maybe it'll help me pay for my Vegas trip. That's my goal right <laughs> now. Are you thinking of going then, or? Yeah, I'm really, really, really debating going, talking with like Kevin and some of the other locals here about going down there. Um, probably going to have to sell like a bunch of my cards, but I think that will help me pay for the trip. So that'll be good. Nice. Yeah, I think it'll be a really fun trip. So yeah, we have a lot to talk about today. So let's just get right into the main topic. So let's talk about Prism's gameplay. Uh, you can, do you want to explain what Prism does in this draft format? Yeah, Prism kind of reminds me of Guardian in that she's just very efficient and very flexible in how she uses her hands. Um, she can kind of do a little bit of everything. She has a lot of three blocks like Guardian. She has the big attacks, some access to dominate. And while you don't, well, Luminaris doesn't attack on its own. If you get spectral shields, like they attack for four with Go again for three resources and are a very real win condition. If you get multiple and your, your opponent like ever gets behind and has to just keep blocking your spectral shields, like they're almost locked out of the game, it feels like. And then you can, on top of it all, you can go wide and do that as well because you have some go again in the deck. So Prism kind of does everything and everything is like on rate or above rate. Although she does, of course, have the drawback of phantasm so all of her illusionist attacks pretty much end up getting popped by six powers um so that's kind of her drawback but but otherwise just good solid flesh and blood use variety of hand sizes well block well hit hard kind of does everything yeah i think it's my personal take on this format i think prism's the best hero uh just has the deepest pool and just all the cards are good so there isn't like in all the other formats Prism really doesn't have any, like, just truly bad cards in their pool. Basically, any card you pick up that is light, illusionist, or even generic can be played pretty well into Prism. Yeah, she's definitely very powerful and I think very um, 
very intuitive. When we originally had Monarch, Prism was extremely popular. And I think that people will branch out a little bit and play, especially some of the shadow heroes more, people are really avoiding. I think now that we've seen what Chain can do in CC, more people will be willing to pick up and draft that deck. But I agree that Prism is super, super powerful and just pretty easy to pick up and play. It just plays like very traditional flesh and blood. So one thing to keep in mind I think when you are playing Prism is one of the biggest ways you can get blown out and fall behind is if you put yourself in a spot where if you get popped, you're stranded with cards in hand. So for example, if you're going for the line, pitch a blue, play a Spears of Surreality and you want to follow it up with a Herald, that's a very good turn. But you want to make sure ideally that your arsenal is empty so that if you do get popped, you can still arsenal that Herald and it doesn't get stranded in your hand. So I think whenever you are playing as Prism, you really want to... I'm always kind of thinking about like, what if I get popped here? Do I have a contingency plan for that? And sometimes you just can't, you just have to pray. But really, like most of the time, you can arrange things in such a way that you're blocking with your extra cards, you're swinging your non-phantasm stuff first, you're trying to... I don't know, maybe you can pitch a card to soul if, uh, to, to, sorry, to her hero ability to banish a card from your soul and make a spectral shield. But you, you really do want to be finding a way to make use of all of your cards. And I think that's something to keep in mind when you are playing as a Prism and even playing against her. Yeah, I think my worst experiences with playing Prism would be those four card hands. And I'm starting with a Spears and my opponent plays a Popper. And I have two cards left in my hand. They're just like, two red heralds got an arsenal one draw three cards and it feels pretty bad because then they now they have a three card hand that they're attacking you and they took no damage yeah it's just a huge loss in efficiency and and we kind of alluded it alluded to it earlier but prism is really a deck like guardian that's all about just efficiency and consistent value out of their hands so if you're getting stranded with like two to three cards and that happens twice in a game like you you might not be winning that game off the back of that. So you do need to plan your turns in a way where you're minimizing this risk as much as possible. If I'm building a Prism deck, what kind what does a Prism deck typically look like? I think for me, I want a lot of blues. I would say like I really want like twelve at least. I'm pretty happy playing like as many as fifteen. Ideally three blocks. Like if you're starting to get into a lot of junky two blocks, you can go a little bit lower. It kind of depends a bit on your curve as well, which we'll kind of talk about when we talk about the key cards. Yeah, I would say sort of like the 12 to 15 blue range is pretty good. You want to prioritize three blocks as much as you can. You probably want a whole bunch of the heralds in your deck, which should be pretty easy to get because most of her commons and rares are actually heralds. So you you will see a lot of them and you Prism's kind of just like a good stuff deck. You can just put good attacks in, good three blocks, and you have a pretty functional deck. So um, as long as you're hitting that blue count, I don't think there's too much else that I'm looking for in my prism decks. Um, What about you, Jay? I don't think I'll play that many blues in my prism decks. It might just be due to not finding enough blues. Like it's like, they just don't, don't exist when you draft prism all the time. Obviously, if I can get like 12 blues, I would play them. But I think a lot of the times when Prism does get cut, I end up with like nine blue decks, 10 blue decks, even eight blue Mm -hmm. decks. And I think those are okay still, as long as on the first cycle, you're not, you're not desperately reliant on the blues. 
Yeah, that's fair. I, I think it does depend a little bit on your curve. I really like to have the um I really like to lean into the spectral shields when I play Prism. And so I often want to have like I'm pretty happy having two blues in your hand. Also, the other thing is the blue heralds are just so good. Uh, most of them attack for five. Just having the upside of also pitching to Iris and still having the on hit at a breakpoint and everything, like I'm I'm the blues are like almost my favorites. Like, of course, the reds and the yellows are also good. The higher power does matter, but but I like the consistency of the blues if I'm able to get them. But but I agree, she can function off less if you have to. But I would I would aim for higher personally. I think the the worst case scenario would be if you had like five or six blues. Then I think you might be like too concentrated on your yellow pitches, and that's not exactly where you want to be. Uh, I think the blue heralds are very good, so you want those, and then the red heralds are really good, so you want those. So if you have a choice between red, yellow, blue, it would be blue and reds before the yellow ones. And I think that might be a little bit not counterintuitive, but how would I say it? Because like in CC Prism, they only play the yellow ones, right? Yeah. Um, that, that that's actually a good point. Yeah, CC Prism really wants a high density of yellows, and I think that that's primarily because of Luminaris giving everything go again if you have a yellow pitch. Actually, I know that's why. You can draft Luminaris, and if you do, you can draft a deck that looks like a CC deck, and it will be very good. I think Luminaris is one of the biggest bombs in the set. But most of the time when you're drafting Prism, you are on Iris, which does really want blue pitches, and I think Maybe moving into our next section, key cards. One of the key cards in Prism is Spears of Surreality, which is a five for one go again with Phantasm. And blues work really nice with Spears because you can pitch a blue, play a Spears, and then play pretty much any Herald. Um, if you do have like Wartoon Heralds, which are the one cost Heralds, you can get away on yellows more by doing like Spears into Wartoon. So that is like one way you can cheat on your blue count and does mean that. Mortune is quite a nice herald, even though it doesn't have an on hit. In general, I think that Prism's often wanting to have a blue. And if you do have a spectral shield, having multiple blues can also be quite good because you can do Iris with Go Again into even Spears Herald potentially, but but often just a single herald. And talking about spectral shields, I think the next key card to talk about would be Prismatic Shield Red. This card is unreasonable how good it is so this card just creates three spectral shield tokens and it's just an illusionist instant and it costs three to play i'm having a hard time explaining this card like why is this card so good it's just how powerful spectral shields are as like a baseline they're going to gain you three life and potentially stop some breakpoints and on hits which could be giving you extra value kind of in the way that armor does and two cards for three life, even if you're getting breakpoints, is not fantastic. But I think when you factor in the spectral shields as weapons being really, really powerful in a win con in and of themselves, like prismatic shield often is just enough to bury your opponent. And you can you can often create game states where maybe your opponent doesn't have that good a turn. You eat some damage, you play a red prismatic, and then you crack back with two uh two iris swings for eight go again and then you know on their next turn they're trying to punch through and pressure your shield so they can't really block that eight and if you keep some of your shields you can just keep like one or two cards and just start swinging them so once you have 
spectral shields, especially in multiples, it really kind of changes the flow of the game. And I think that this card is just so good at getting you to that state that it's that is really, really, really powerful. Um, if you ever play this on turn one or turn zero, rather, you kind of just win the game. It's It feels very hard to lose from that spot. And I think that in particular, it's really good against Leviah, who does have a lot of poppers in her deck. So often establishing, finding a way to establish that spectral shield and then just hitting her with it over and over and playing very defensively can be a great way to win a game. So this is sort of like a nice way to, to do that, although not the only way. And I think in the same vein, the next key card that we're going to be talking about, Invigorating Light. Invigorating Light is a light attack action that costs three to play, but it says when you play Invigorating Light, if there are no cards in your hero's soul, put it into the hero's soul and when the chain closes. This card is basically a herald that has its on hit to go to the soul, but this card does not have to hit, and this is your first card that goes into your soul. The same reason why Prismatic Shield and all the talk about the Spectral Shield is good, using Prism's ability to generate Spectral Shield is just like another way of getting Spectral Shields out, but if your opponent keeps on blocking the Heralds and don't let those hit, it's hard to generate Soul. And Invigorating Light just surpasses this like whole requirement that your opponent gets to block this, or it's just like... It's so unfair, right, when your opponent plays Invig- Invigorating Light. It's it's really good, and and I think good in all matchups, but again, really, like, you, you want to have some of these ways to get Spectral Shields and get Soul against Leviah, or I think the matchup can actually be pretty challenging. Like, you really do need to rely on your weapon and the aura repeated value to to kind of deal with her. You can, you can try and fatigue her, but I think really good Leviah decks are pretty decent at overcoming fatigue, so... Yeah, they have a lot of dominate. Yeah, ideally you do want to be pressuring and, and getting a spectral shield and being able to hit them with it. Yeah, I think these are just the three main cards you need, like Spears of Serati, Prismatic Shield, Invigorating Light. If you have like a couple of copies of these cards, obviously Invigorating Light and Prismatic Shields are rare, so it's a little bit harder to come by, but Spears of Reality is a common You want to have like some combination of these cards in your Prism deck, and if you have like two spears and a prismatic shield red or two spears and an invigorating light your prism deck's probably just good enough to beat any of the heroes in the format yeah i think i agree with that um these cards are a lot of the power level of prism and then otherwise it's just sort of like how consistent is your deck how many two blocks do you have as a big one like low, lower is better of course but um but yeah having a few of these key cards is very important you want to jump into equipment here yeah let's do that the first card to talk about will be halo of illumination so this is a light equipment headpiece this card reads instant pay a resource destroy this card Put a card from your hand into the hero's soul, and if it's a light card, draw a card. And this card also has Spell Void 2 for some reason. So all the stuff that we talked about, like about getting a soul, getting spectral shields, applies here. It sort of like hand fixing in a way, or letting you filter is really good. Also the play pattern of pitch a blue into this, and then use the two floating for Prism's ability is also really, really strong. So it can just kind of get you a spectral shield and... I guess it costs you a card because you have to pitch the blue, but it doesn't cost you a second card because you draw a card so long as you can manage a light card, which should be relatively easy to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very easy to do. This card is pretty interesting in the sense that it doesn't read too powerful. How highly are you picking this card? I pick Halo pretty early. Would I pack one, pick one it? 
Maybe. I don't think I'd be thrilled to pack one, pick one it, but I I often find myself picking it up around like pick three or four, kind of kind of the same place I would take Ebb and Fold, honestly. I think that they're both very powerful. And uh, a nice thing about Halo is that it is a flexible card that is also good in Bolton too, because surprise, he wants cards in soul so that he can give stuff go again. So just um, being able to fuel that Basically, one resource for a card and soul is just really good. And then you factor in the sort of like card selection because you get to filter away a card and draw a card. And also the um, spell void if you're playing against a rune blade and you need to stop some arcane in a pinch, like you just get a lot of utility out of this card and it just ends up being very good. Yeah. Surprisingly, spell void 2 is very relevant, um, just like against chain. It's so good against chain when you have spell void. And just like that alone makes me just want to pick up the Halo just so I get that one extra life against that deck. It's not just that you get the one extra life. It also just turns off your opponent's turn sometimes. So if you see like Rip Through Reality or a Piercing Shadow Vice in your opponent's Banish Zone, if your opponent tries to do one arcane before, you just go use the Halo. Is your Rip coming in this turn or is it going to deal you one damage to you because you're not going to play it this turn? Yeah, and and so you're kind of forcing them to almost have like two arcane on that turn, which is doable, but but much harder than a single arcane for sure. Yeah, honestly, sometimes impossible unless they have Seeds of Agony. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Seeds was also the card that I was thinking of. Yeah, so Halo, very good card. Other equipment you might want to keep an eye out for is Blood Drop Brocade. This is the chess piece where if you've dealt or taken damage, you can gain a resource. It does fit nicely into some of your go-again turns with Spears. Often, if they don't have a Popper, they're pretty incentivized to take the Spears because, or at least like, three block the spears and then wait because most of the heralds have on hits so um pretty good there and the thing i really like about this card is it enables for one it enables the rare auras off a single blue pitch where if you've taken you can sort of intentionally leak a damage and then once they're action points used up and they can't hit your uh aura anymore after you play it you can pitch a blue play an aura off of kind of two cards and i mean People played Tunic in Prism primarily to pitch a blue and play an aura, a yellow aura off of two cards, and that was a very good constructed deck. So being able to do it in limited is is also very good. I think if you have auras, I really want this card. I think we're gonna be talking about auras a little bit later in the episode, but yep. I would play auras like even without Blood Drop Brocade. And when I have Blood Drop Brocade, the the aura value goes up even more. So this card is a very good card to pick up. Yeah, they, they work well with each other. If you have the Blood Drop, the auras go up in value. If you have the auras, the Blood Drop goes up in value. Another card that it pairs well with is any of the Ironhide equipment. We kind of talked about Prism being defensive and having lots of blues, ideally. So if you have three Ironhide, you can pitch three and block six. But I think the Ironhide is particularly good in Prism because you can pair it with her hero ability to make a spectral shield, which costs two. So you can sort of, I guess you're still getting a three block out of it because you have the Ironhide equipment and the spectral shield, but just the spectral shield potentially staying on board is is so good. So just you're, you're like basically still blocking th- three or blocking two, I guess, and then them making a spectral shield, which is really strong. So Ironhide, very good. How much value do you think a spectral shield generates typically if you make one? Jeez, it's so hard to say. The baseline is, of course, one. I think it's pretty common for this to hit, a, to like sometimes hit an on hit, in which case it might be more like two. 
but the ceiling is really high, right? Because of the recursive weapon nature of them. Like I've won games off a single spectral shield before. So sky's kind of the limit on this card. I don't I don't know what the average value is. Do you do you have a number? They're very good. I don't I just don't know if I can assign a number to it. Ooh, I don't know if I can assign a number, but if my opponent attacks me and I can trade a card for a spectral shield, I would. So that's typically worth at least like three. Right, a card might be worth like three points, and I would easily trade like a herald. Like if my opponent attacked for three, I would like give up my red herald if I really had to. Like it's just like if that was my only card that blocked for three, I would just like immediately give it up. So yeah, I would often block out with my entire hand to keep my spectral shield if I can. And this is something that kind of happens in the prism mirror a lot. That there's this mini game of like, can I get a spectral shield? And once I do. I can just kind of hit you with my spectral shield and make you deal with it. It's not uncommon to just like block three on a red herald and swing your, swing your spectral shield and just keep doing that over and over and over again. So yeah, spectral shields are, we've been saying it a lot, but they are really, really incredible. Yes. Let's uh, talk about the last equipment on our list here. It's uh, Dreamweavers. So this is the uh, illusionist handpiece? No, not it's not called a hand. What is it called in this game? Arms. Arms. Arms piece, Yes. Uh, Dreamweavers is a illusionist arm piece, and I can't find it. <laughs> I, I got it. It has. Uh, it doesn't block. It has spell void one, and it has as an action destroy Dreamweavers. The next illusionist attack action card you play this turn loses and can't gain phantasm. Go again. So it is an action. You have to do it beforehand. Dreamweavers is, I think, the worst class equipment, but it is still very good. I think that some people are under the impression this card isn't great and i don't i don't think you need this card to be a good prism deck but the spell void one just as we mentioned before very good i like it in spots where it it, it allows you to play in a way where you can go low and swing a herald and take like if you're if your opponent's at two and you can swing a herald or, or they're at one you can swing a red herald for seven but if they pop you 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 might lose the game uh just having dream weavers in that spot to go no this doesn't have phantasm i'm gonna take over the game from here is is really powerful and i think it also enables you to kind of lean into um herald of tenacity which is the one that gets dominate and attacks for six at red um you can turn this into an end game where you can pump this up maybe you can go like phantasmify which gives it plus five and phantasm then you pop your dream weavers and you play your herald of tenacity for 11 dominate and that's like a really good way to close the game so i do think dream weavers is really good but i don't think it's essential to the deck functioning either a good way of thinking about dream weavers would be it's like a little bit of an insurance card that you get to you get to have if you need it and there are some combination of cards where dream weaver value goes up but it's not like a card that's like on its own good. You need to complement it with like a couple of other cards. Um, and it's also nice in that Spears situation that we talked about where like you have four cards because maybe your opponent blocked out and you're like, please don't have a popper. If you have Dreamweavers and you can Dreamweavers the Spears so they have to deal with that, it's just like, well, then you've presented five go again and they have to do a popper as well. And like you've done pretty okay with your hand at that point. So, so yeah, just... I think the key to this card is to be patient with it and use it when you feel like it's going to matter and be like, I really can't get popped here. I really can't afford to get popped here. That's when you want to use it. You don't want to just kind of be like, 
I have a Herald, so I'm going to use my Dreamweavers. Unless, like, maybe if it's like a, a very good one and they're low or something, that there are spots where you want it. But but do be selective with it. Don't just throw it out on the first Phantasm card you have. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest mistake I see with Dreamweavers when I'm watching people play Prism. Would be I see people use Dreamweavers and I'm like, not really sure why you use Dreamweavers, and I have a feeling that they also don't really know why. You need to have that like very methodical planning of when to use Dreamweavers. It's really tricky. It's really tricky. I think you just have to practice a little bit. Talk about it with your opponent after the game of like, should I have used Dreamweavers here? Do you th- what do you think? What do you think not? Like, And I think the last thing I just want to talk about this card would be if you just have the read that your opponent has a popper, you should probably use Dreamweavers. You don't see this much in Constructive. Or sorry, you don't see this much in Limited, but the most classic read in... Uh... In constructed against Dromize is when they they have a card in an empty arsenal and they go yeah no arsenal and you're like okay <laughs> I understand yeah that happens in limited too where they they look at their it, six it power card and you're like oh they're not going to arsenal that card hmm I wonder what it could be yeah yeah there are, there are other ways you can get a read but that is definitely the most uh, overt one that comes to mind right away. <laughs> Yeah, or or if you're if you're a sicko and if you just want to like pi- uh, track their pitch stack, there's a couple of people who would like pitch us popper for late game. Then you can line up that dream reavers on that turn as well, and that's pretty. Uh, that could really hurt your opponent that way. Yeah, and I think the effect is particular. I kind of mentioned it before, but it's particularly powerful in the late game if you can use it to strip multiple cards from hand and just guarantee that. Because often, I think everybody's like been in that spot where you're like if i can just take their cards and i'm gonna walk away with this game from here there's no way they can come back and and dreamweavers does give you the insurance to just overcome the phantasm to do that so that's another great spot for it okay i think enough about dreamweavers let's talk about attack actions that are generically good in prism do you want to start with the heralds yeah let's start with the heralds so the heralds are so all of the common light illusionist action cards are all heralds and we do have some rare ones and mythic ones as well what do you where do you put the heralds in power ranking like compared to just other cards in the set i think the heralds are some of the strongest cards in the set um they're just all above right they block three they are good in every pitch like the red ones usually hit for seven and have an on hit of at least going to soul and often some other effect the blue ones are just blues that attack for five and have an on hit and then the yellows still good coming in for six and can pitch for your reds we kind of said that we like the reds and the blues the most but all of the pitches are good cards and honestly all of the heralds are pretty good cards i think that it's like a step down from some of like the powerhouses like it's not as good as soul reaping and it's probably not as good as some of the class equipment it's probably a little bit lower than like spears prismatic shield red those key cards but it's they're they're up there they're very very good i would pack one pick one oh a nice herald sometimes for sure i would pick one pack one any herald but yeah that's that we're gonna leave that for a little bit later in the episode (laughs) (laughs) of the heralds do you have like a favorite like a one or two favorites we kind of said that they're all good but yeah my favorite is herald of rebirth um so this one is on hit uh, put one Phantasm card from your graveyard on top of your deck. I think this is a a herald where if they let this hit, then you get to put a Spears of Serality red back on top of your deck, or even like a blue herald back on top of your deck if you had to block with it. If you are like desperate for blue pitches, it's like just super flexible. Your opponent 
doesn't really want to block it because it doesn't actually generate a value, but it still goes to soul, so they still have to kind of block it. Playing heralds is pretty powerful. And then when this one hits, you get to play you're guaranteed to play another herald or a spears of serality. I think that that recursion of just like continuous threats is pretty good on hit. Do you have a favorite one? I think my favorite one is protection. Um, this is on hit, make a spectral shield as well as going to soul. So it's like kind of two spectral shields in a way. This card is a beating. I especially like the red and the, like the red and the blue are both so good because of the breakpoints. The like the protection feels like the one that is the most you have to block this. Letting protection hit is really really bad for you and being able to hit that breakpoint of seven or just having a blue that can demand two blocks from your opponent is really really good yeah i think i agree with that portion of they have to block hero protection they can't really let this card hit but at the same time if they always block it you never make a spectral shield or it doesn't go to soul yeah but if they have to like if they have to block three cards on your seven power herald like that's good for you that is good for you that is good for you i think that's just maybe my like my evaluation of the card is wrong that i like herald rebirth a little bit better is i feel like people misplay against herald of rebirth a little bit more often than against herald of protection there there will be spots where herald of rebirth they cannot let this card hit or i'm gonna run away with the game where I can like put like another red herald on top and then they can't actually get out of that. But they still let the herald of rebirth hit for some reason. Mm-hmm. Whereas a herald of protection red, I just attack with it and they just like immediately give me three cards and I'm like, no misplays there. <laughs> so yeah, heralds are good. Pick them pretty much whenever you get the chance unless there's something truly incredible in the pack, but they're, they're very high picks. And maybe an honorable mention, this one isn't a herald, but it kind of is. Uh, is uh, Enigma Chimera. This is not a light card. It's just an illusionist attack. It doesn't have an on hit or fuel your soul, but at red, it is a two for eight. Um, so it is kind of the biggest of them. I don't have too many thoughts about this. To me, this is just another Herald. Like it doesn't go to soul and it does one more damage. Yeah, it's like you lose the on hit, but then if your opponent still just can't eat this or they go too low, a turn that just goes like Pitch of Blue Spears and Spears red and just uh, Enigma Chimera red. It's just a 13 damage turn with three cards. It's just like, that's just so above rate that your opponent can't ignore it. Yeah. Uh, like, I got it. This card is Dunebreaker Senapai for anybody that's played Uprising. Same stat line, also Phantasm. It's the same card and it's just as good here. Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. Dunebreaker was broken in that format. Red and Sorry. Is it Dunebreaker? Dunebreaker Senapai? Something I think Dunebreaker the go again. Embermaw. It's Embermaw Senapai. Oh, Embermaw Senapai. I knew what card you were talking about. <laughs> but yeah, just two for eight. It's good enough. And you put it with a go again card, even better. All right, so that's the Heralds. Any non-Herald attacks you're looking for in your Prism decks? Yeah, let's talk about Illuminate. Illuminate is a light attack action card. The red one attacks for four, blocks for three. And it says, if it hits, put it into your soul. So it has that herald text where it just says, on hit goes to soul. It has no other abilities. But the stat line on this card is just just really good. They, it blocks for three. It hits for four. I just, I don't know what to tell you. It just has good line. It has, it has a lot of good numbers on it. We've seen it before that the four for zero block threes are really good. And this is a premium one because it goes to soul. On hit is 
pretty relevant, as you probably would have guessed by now, because we've been talking about how important getting soul is. And the blue one I also really like because it's just a blue block three that you can throw out as a one card hand and like they kind of have to give you a card. They don't have to give you a card, but like this card is so annoying to get attacked by the blue one. You're just like, am I really blocking this blue two attack? And it's like, yeah, I probably am. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think the the proper thing would be that you they should be blocking it. Giving you a soul is probably a mistake. You know, sometimes they make that that decision error of like, oh, maybe coming in for an extra three points of damage might be better than blocking it for two. But a lot of the time, it might just be better blocking it for two. I think you can pretty safely kind of assume the card going to soul on hit is worth like at least a point of value uh, most of the time. Maybe if they somehow have like a ton of soul and they, you don't think they can use it all, but like that doesn't that doesn't really happen in practice. Mm-hmm. I think the one exception is like if you have soul reaping and like you're wanting the prison player to have two soul. Yes. Then it's just like, oh yeah, obviously I let this illuminate hit. Go to soul. You have two cards in soul. I blow you out. That is true. Yeah. And maybe something to be careful of if you've seen a soul reaping in the draft as a prism. Just thought before we move on, yellow illuminate. I like this card too for one reason. You can reveal it for what is that card called? Middleism. No. Belittle. belittle. Yeah. Do you want to talk about belittle right now? Because I think that you have a bit of a spicy take on this that I think most people... Belittle does not seem like a prism card, right? You're playing above raid heralds. So do you want to talk about belittle and prism? We've been talking at the very beginning where you wanted maybe like 12 or 13 blues in your deck. But honestly, like playing that many blues and if you can't get like the blue heralds, you end up in a deck where you have a lot of two blocks. Instead of playing like two blocks blues that like are very me- mediocre defensive and if you draw like three blues, it could be a... It could be a bad thing. You could just play red belittle blue minimalism, and then all of your other blue cards that you're playing, like let's say generics like Yenti Yanti, Blue Spears of Serality, the Illuminate Blue and Yellow, the Blue Impenetrable Belief, Blue Rising Solitaire, uh, sorry, Rising Solar Tide. Just all of these cards that you are trying to keep in your hand to attack with spectral shields get all naturally have three power for some reason. And they just have three power because it'll be broken otherwise. That also just in turn turns on that's a card you can reveal for your belittle. Belittle generates two resources. And what you can do with two resources is you can make a spectral shield with prism. And then you still have the blue that you revealed for belittle. So you can attack with your spectral shield on the same turn you attack with your belittle. It's just it's just so clean. It's so nice. Yeah, so just to clarify, you're getting you're you're using it for blue minimalism, right? Yes, yes. I'm not getting a red minimalism off this card. So just using it for the extra resources mode, and I think it is a neat way to do it. You can even play blue belittle in there if you have a blue minimalism, because it's like a blue that can situationally get you two more resources, which is really nice. How highly are you picking belittle? In, um, let's say, well, I guess you're always playing prism. How highly <laughs> are you picking belittle if you're if you know your prism? At this point, red belittle is is like really really high. It just has also that added flexibility of if you just don't have a way to reveal, you can still just go pitch a blue, attack with belittle, can't be popped, and then attack with a herald um, that could be popped. But it's a little bit less risky than spears of 
Sorality, where if they pop the um, spears, then you get stranded with the Herald. That just never happens with a Belittle. So I also just like that aspect of just playing the Red Belittles anyways. And then once I have a couple of Red Belittles, then I'm really looking for a Blue Minnowism. Um, and I probably wouldn't go the other way around. I wouldn't find a Blue Minnowism until I find a red belittle unless it's just like super late in the pack and it's low opportunity cost i guess yeah like you're, you're not gonna pick a shadow card if you're gonna pick a shadow card you'd rather have a blue minnowism yeah or if it's like another blue two block the minnowism is probably yeah slightly the best two block or like one of the better two blocks it's yeah for sure if there's no opportunity cost you just pick the minnowism blue and then you can find a red red belittle later in the draft you can play heralds illuminates belittles and maybe the last card that we'll talk about um, you can pretty much play anything in prism like you can play poppers and it is fine as well the last attack that we'll highlight here is zealous belting red you can play the yellow as well it's okay Prism's actually very good at turning this on because all of your heralds are yellows with six power so you can pitch one of them to attack with zealous belting red for five go again no phantasm uh the raid on it is definitely worse than spears because if to get the six power you need to pitch a yellow and then it doesn't fit like you're you're spending two cards for five go again which is good like that's e-strike with go again efficiency it's still good but the card does block two and and spears is like a little more efficient but does have the upside of phantasm so i think that zealous belting is maybe not quite as key as spears but is another way to go wide and have a similar effect yeah and i think a key here will be to have enigma chimera blue Mm-hmm. Uh, Enigma Carmera Blue is a six power blue, and if you pitch this card to play Zealous Belting, you have one resource floating. So you can have a line where you go pitch a blue Chimera, attack with red Zealous Belting, and then a yellow Wartoon or a red Wartoon Herald, and that's like a really clean, high damage three card hand that you can set up. Fantastic point. Okay, carrying right along here, auras. Um, so auras only appear, appear at rare and majestic, and they pretty much are all illusionist light instants that cannot block because they're instants and cost four resources and come in only yellow pitch. The ones at rare are Parable of Humility, which gives your opponent's attacks minus one, Merciful Retribution, which makes any of your Phantasm or Spectra popping, deal one arcane, and if it's a light card that breaks, it goes to your soul. Um, and then Ode to Wrath makes it so that if any, whenever one of your attacks, sorry, whenever your opponent takes a damage, they lose a life. It's it's, it's uh, whenever a source you control deals damage to an opponent, they lose one life. Right, and notably, it gives your, is it cards with Phantasm go again? Illusionist uh, attacks. Illusionist attacks. Attack actions, illusionist attack actions go again. So we've talked about this just before the episode. How hard are you on these auras? I'm okay on them. I think that I kind of like having access to at least one of them, just like as a as a way to turn on your iris. I'm a little bit lower on them than you are, though, I think. Um, I like Merciful quite a bit into Levaya as a guaranteed way to get soul. And I like Parable of Humility just because it can soak up so much damage and, and being able to play it, especially if I can play it off the Blood Drop, I think it's actually pretty efficient. But I kind of find these cards like awkward, especially in multiples because of the no block. And I'm often finding that like I don't 
you kind of need to play these cards early in the game or they can just not get enough value so like if you're if you're low you don't really want to take more damage to play an aura and 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 similarly like i don't know if you really want to play that aura. you probably would rather be attacking with a herald so you do need to kind of see them early and my like that's been my experience with them and so i'm often not picking them super super highly that's fair i also don't pick this card super super highly but i am definitely higher than you um i definitely want at least one aura in my deck sometimes i would play two but like if if i'm playing two one of them has to be a merciful retribution the i think these auras are the way that i think about them is that they're like a different version of like prismatic shield uh not the red one the red one is like on its own class but i would play yellow prismatic shield i would sometimes even play blue prismatic shield i think what is this called the auras are very similar in that vein of if you really need to somehow guarantee yourself to make an aura on some turn they are there reliably and in those situations, I'm actually okay pitch stacking them, like against Levia, where I would pitch stack it, second cycle, play like a parable humility. Now now they have to attack this to blow it up, or now I actually have a weapon that can put pressure on the Leviah. Yeah, right. Because because then it, it turns off most of their poppers. Not not all of them, but really a lot of them. Yeah, I think Parable is also my favorite for that reason. Um, it Interacting with Phantasm is really nice. It's kind of expensive, but occasionally you can attack with a um, Herald. And if you have like an extra blue, you can kind of ambush them with a Parable of Humility. And if they've tried to block with a Popper, it will make that Popper down to five power. And then your Herald's also going to hit because there's like there's no way that they overblock your Herald if they're popping it. In that scenario, like it is like a very specific scenario, but when that happens, you're just so far ahead. Like I don't even know how your opponent comes back and limited from that unless they have time skippers. Even then, it's just not good enough. It is really strong. And the minus one on all the attacks on Parable is deceptively good. I, I remember early NCC people didn't, People were playing all of the auras except for Parable, and then at some point people were just like, no, Parable is real good. I think um, actually uh, Oliver Fee, who we had on a couple episodes ago talking about their cube, was sort of one of the people that was really championing Parable of Humility and popularized it early on. So just fun tidbit since we had him on as a cast. I didn't know that. I actually didn't know that. I didn't play Prism at all in CC. I was uh, on the chain train the whole way until Starville came out. Yeah. Okay, so we've kind of talked about the the auras. They're pretty solid, but they aren't... I think there are better cards in them. What about the Majestics? Do you like Genesis? Do you like Arclight Sentinel? I'm pretty have, high on Have Arclight. you played with them? Yes, I have played with Arclight Sentinel. I have not played with Genesis yet. Uh, have you played with them? I haven't played with Arclight, but I've played with Genesis. So maybe you talk about Arclight and I can talk about Genesis. Perfect. I guess I go first? Yeah, sure. Okay, so Arclight Sentinel is, I think, is really, really strong. So to talk about Arclight Sentinel, actually, we'll have to talk about each of the matchups separately. It's a very specific card, and you have to play it in different ways depending on what matchup you have. Against Chain, you want to use it in a way so that ideally you keep it until their pop-off turn. And then you play it halfway through their pop-off turn. So then you can maximize your blocks on their turn. Uh, play the Arclight Sentinel. They have to kill it. Then they have only like a four-card hand with not enough banish cards. 
So they ba- then you begin basically block for 12 again. They deck out. They can't win the game anymore. So I think Arclight Sentinel was pretty good in CC against Chain, and it's basically the same kind of same kind of idea. You're using it to you're using it so that your chain players don't have they lose one turn to try and deal damage to you. And in that spot, very good. Uh Arclight Sentinel against Levia. It's pretty interesting. Levia so in my opinion, the way that Prism beats Levia is either through Spectral Shields or through Deck Out. So like through Fatigue. A good way to fatigue your opponent is to force them to hit an Aura. Arclight Sentinel is a card where they have to hit it. And if you can actually line it up on a turn where they're struggling to turn off Blood Debt, Arclight Sentinel can be like the one turn you needed to actually force your opponent to take 10 Blood Debt and they lose the game. And that's why I like that card there. Against Bolton, I have no idea. I've never played this card against Bolton. It seems scary to me against Bolton. He usually starts with an attack and he can give it go again. And it seems a little scary to me, but maybe it's good. I guess if he has like a V, it's good. Yeah, I might I might not play against. I think I would take it out against Bolton. Bolton's, uh, you, you, I think you beat it a different ways. But yeah, I don't think Arclay Sentinel is good against Bolton. I've never had the chance to do that one. And then against the Prism Mirror, it's fine. It's an aura. It's expensive. It's an aura. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I haven't played with Arclight, but everything you said there makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Genesis is a card I've played. I rate it pretty similarly to the other auras. Um, Genesis kind of has this reputation of being like the most powerful aura, I feel like. Like people are always like, oh my god, it's Genesis. And like, yes, if your opponent leaves you with Genesis, it gets really, really out of hand. But I think people at this point should know that you cannot leave Genesis on the board and they just hit it. In my experience, the way that Genesis usually plays out is you you play the Genesis at the end of your opponent's turn, you put a card into soul and draw a card because it's a probably a light illusionist card and get a spectral shield. And then the next turn, your opponent pops it. So what you're getting out of the deal is you're getting a card and soul and a spectral shield and an attack from your opponent. But you probably have to keep a full hand to do this because even if you have blood drop, you're looking at a card plus Genesis plus your equipment, plus you need a card to banish. So that's three cards. And most of the time, if you're randoming a card off the top, you might not even be able to get value out of it. So I actually don't think Genesis is fantastic. It's just very, very slow. Your opponent can kind of blow it up right away, and it's it's fine, but it's a very big commitment to play because you do... Like, not only is it expensive like the other yellow auras, but you actually need another card, and you specifically need a Light Illusionist card in your hand. So... I don't know. I wasn't super impressed with this card, honestly, when I drafted it. Mm, that's everything you said makes sense. Yeah, because you need the extra card for this card to do like anything. Maybe it's. I think it just is worse than the rare versions of the auras. Yeah, I've also just like had it draw me into like a blue two block, or I keep it. I keep a herald, and I'm like most of my decks yellows right and then you like draw a red and you're just like wow this is a disaster like <laughs> i just can't use my cards so i think the like the fact that you really want to get the banish and then you're drawing a card and like it doesn't even always work out is it's just like very risky to play this card out i i don't i don't love it that's fair that's fair i I've, I've never played with genesis but yeah i think you'd actually talk me away from it now yeah 
it's fine. You can play it. I, I think, I guess the place I would play it is into Leviah. She has probably the least access to go again, so it's less likely for her to be able to hit you than hit Genesis, and she kind of has to like commit and attack to it, which is really, really good. And it also gives you a guaranteed soul. So I think I think Leviah is maybe like the one place where like I would probably I would pick this card like later in a pack um, if you see it, but I think it probably gets picked too early in general. As a guaranteed way to get soul against Leviathan and a spectral shield, yeah, it's pretty solid there. Ah, uh, so you're, it's a cyborg card. I, I think so. I think I would play it against Leviathan and probably no one else. Talking about cyborg cards, let's talk about our defensive cards uh, that Prism has access to. Let's start with Impenetrable Belief. So Impenetrable Belief is a card that reads, if you, three or more cards has been put into the opposing hero's banish zone this turn, Impenetrable Belief gains two shield. Shield? Armor? Block? Block. Yeah. Yes. Sort of what you would imagine. Relevant against the Shadow Heroes. Very good at helping you fatigue because it essentially blocks four. Is there much else to say about this card? Not really. This card, against Bolton, if your opponent is going off on on like a pop-off turn, this card actually blocks four. Four on the last attack sometimes if they attack with, if, if they attack with a lot of cards because they banish three cards from their soul. And uh, mm -hmm. this card never blocks for four against Prism. That makes sense. But uh, when you are trying to fatigue out Chain or even Levia, uh, Impenetrable Belief is a very big role player in that. It's just uh, it's just a good card to have if you are if you're trying to be defensive. Impenetrable Belief is like a must have card. I agree with that. Another defensive card here, well, defensive is Blinding Beam. This is an instant that costs one, and at red it makes target attack lose three power. This can be used in a lot of ways. It can turn off Bolton's go again. So if you wait for him to activate his hero ability, then you play Blinding Beam. The attack no longer has higher power than its base, and he his ability just doesn't work. You do need to respond to the attack reaction is like the very specific timing, but but that's the optimal way to play that card there. It stops poppers, so you can use it to force through. Like this card is really nice in Arsenal, where if they pop you, you can just go. Oh no, no, you didn't. And and again, like the blue pitch with a two cost herald and turning off a popper with this for one is is really really good. It's it's a bit of a beating. Levia and chain it costs zero against them because they're shadow heroes. And then so it's just kind of like a three block with all of the upsides that we've talked about. So good card. Are you are you ever playing not the red? Or sorry, are you ever playing anything other than the red? Yeah, I'm playing yellow and blue all the time. Interesting. Yeah, I... Hmm, how do I explain Blinding Beam? Blinding Beam Blue is fine because it's a blue pitch. And then now the blue version doesn't have like that defense reaction upside of like blocking for three. But it is, it will force through poppers. It will, it's still like a blue pitch that you can attack with your Iris. I think overall it's fine. It's not like a ideal card to play, but like it really does like blow out your opponent when it when it works and then the yellow one is like actually interesting where yeah it's just a two block it's fine i play two blocks all the time in prism is it that's specifically into shadow heroes i'm guessing yeah and also like it turns it still turns off bolton's go again yeah i could say it into bolton okay maybe you've yeah. talked me up on the yellow I, like, I, I i agree with the blue and the red but i don't the the yellow one i'm just like yeah it still blocks for two it's like it's like a block two uh, against Prism Mirror, it 
stops poppers if that's really necessary. Uh, you can actually pitch a blue, play blinding beam, uh, block with the iron hide, uh, pitch another blue, play an aura. Like you just basically all the bad cards complement each other. So you can play if you have one bad card, you can play more bad cards, and they work well together. That makes a ton of sense. <laughs> I totally agree with that. If if your deck is bad cards in it, you just add more bad cards and then your deck's great. Exactly. Draft, it's just drafting with J. It's just oh man, Prism is so cool. Just... See, what people don't know is that Jay says this stuff and will like say it during a draft and then people will look at his deck and laugh at him and then he'll just win anyways. So there's there's actually something to it, but I don't think anybody's figured out Jay's secret and how he makes it all work. <laughs> Yeah, you just gotta line it up. Like it's 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 just gotta put it together. And if it if you're saying you can't draw these cards together, you don't have to draw them together. You can just pitch stack them. You can do it in the <laughs> second cycle. You know, like if you have a red belittle and you don't have a card to reveal for it, if you pitch the bet red belittle and the next card you pitch is a blue card, that blue card has three power. On then on your second cycle, then you have belittle with a three. It's just so good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Totally agree. No, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm, I'm hemming it up a little bit. I, I think I think it's okay. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, okay, let's uh move right in. Let's talk about some of the good majestics for Prism then. Yeah, we're not going to spend too long on these. We'll just kind of say good or not and maybe very briefly why. The equipment, very good. Luminaris, if you can pick it up early, you can just draft a bunch of yellows and your deck is very, very good. I think it's one of the biggest bombs in the set. And similarly, Footsteps is also very good. Footsteps lets you block and make a spectral shield, so you get extra value when you're making that spectral shield. And it also gives you some insurance against poppers by letting you pay one to get your action point back. So sometimes it enables, uh, so, sorry, sometimes it gets rid of those blowout turns. So very good in CC, very good here. No no surprises with those equipment. Yep. Also worth $200, so just pick it up. Yeah, that, that too. <laughs> soul shield, good? Super good. Two for six, D-react, goes into your soul. Yeah, it's just like on rate and gives you a soul. Yeah, perfect. Exactly what I want. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, and, and it's a yellow, so you can pitch it if you need to. Card's very good. Okay, next is Phantasaclasm. I've actually never played with this card. How good is this card? I got to play with it last week in draft. Sort of funny. The same thing that I always complain about in CC also happened in draft, where both times I tried to play it, my opponent revealed a hand with no popper, but the take a card is not a may, so I took their, like, whatever card would cripple their hand the most, and they drew the popper and popped it. So... <laughs> You know, sometimes it happens. I think I think on the aggregate, like you're more likely to catch a popper in their hand than off the top of their deck. But some amount of the time, you will draw them into the popper, and it will feel bad. But I think you should think of this ability mostly as an upside, and um, three for nine, really efficient stat line. So phantasmaclasm, very very good. But there will be some feel bads. Just it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Herald of Erudition. So this one is uh, the two cost for five, and it has Dominate, and it says on hit, draw two cards. My guess is that it's fine. It's like, it's pretty good. Okay, maybe this good. card's pretty good. It has to be good. It's not as good as in Constructed, because you don't 
have Luminaris to give it go again. Probably, I mean, if you if you do, then your deck is just obscene. But um, you probably don't have Luminaris to give it go again. But I guess you can make a Spectral Shield and Arsenal card. So and it's still like basically a Herald of Tenacity yellow. So so yeah, it's good. Yeah, it has to be good. It has to be good. It just has. Yeah. It just has an on. It's just. It's just. I, I play yellow. Yellow Herald of Tenacity all the time. It's just a strict upgrade. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. And I guess you will. If it hits, it goes to soul, so you can always make a spectral shield. Yeah, okay, this card's just good. I, I haven't played with it, but yeah, it's good. And neither have I. I've never had the chance to draft it, but it's, it has to be good. Yeah. All right, uh, Celestial Cataclysm. I think getting three soul... So this is the seven power with go again, but you can only play it by banishing three cards from your soul. I think playing this card is pretty hard it was fairly hard in cc and it's even harder here but it is still a yellow popper that blocks three and is resilient to stuff like parable or the minus one herald what is it triumph herald of triumph you know you can play you can pick this pretty much as like a yellow popper that blocks three good card very solid it's not it's not like a bomb like i wouldn't be like oh my god celestial cataclysm i gotta pick this and i have to be light it's it's definitely not that kind of card but you can play it. and we are this is already like sorted for the dope play category so the next three cards we're going to talk about is uh you can draft it if you need it for your collection but uh you should probably take it out of your deck which is tome of divinity soul foods and unfortunately library yeah Soul Food's basically just a yellow block too. Tomo Divinity is basically just a bobble. Library, I think the thing that's easy to miss about this is that as an action card, it doesn't pitch and it doesn't block and it costs two. So you have to play this card when you draw it or you have to arsenal it and then some kind of, somehow get it out of your arsenal, which is just a huge commitment. And then on top of it, like you then need to get the clause of getting two yellows in your pitch zone to get the extra card. And even the first card, like if you paid two resources and an action point and this card for it, like you need to be drawing three-ish cards to get the value back. And it's just, it's not going to happen. Don't don't even try. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny is uh, because it's uh, limited, you can play this card and you could draw no cards, but your opponent could draw more cards than you off the library. Just it, it could just so happen to be that way. Yeah. Draft it, be happy that you opened money, and don't put it in your deck. Now now the big question, are you going to pack one, pick one library at nationals? Probably not. No, you're gonna pass up the library? I think so. Oh, I wanna Maybe? be young. It I might just, depend. It might depend, like how well the day is going for me, how good the pack is. If it's a bad pack, maybe. I'd pick yeah, it. you you start three zero on uh, on your CC round first first round first draft of the of the day. You open library. I want to be sitting on your left. How much? How much is library? Library is. Let's check right now. Because when I bought library, I bought it when Prism was LL'd, and it was like a hundred dollars Canadian. So my my I, th I think my frame of reference is definitely off. I'm just not sure how much it's off by. Uh, the Rainbow Foil Library currently sells at one hundred and eighty four dollars on TCG Player. Maybe, maybe we'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. <laughs> okay, okay. So either way, there is a chance that Library gets shipped to me if I am on her left. So I just want to be on her left, and I just want her <laughs> to open just Library. Be like, please, one time library and like soul reaping in the same pack please <laughs> yeah okay uh so wrapping up we should talk about the game plan for each hero let's start off with 
How do you play Prism against Lovia? So we kind of touched on it earlier, but you really do want to establish a Spectral Shield and hit them with it and play very defensively. Um, you're either aiming to fatigue them slash kill them with their own blood debt, or you're aiming to kind of take over the game with Spectral Shields. But generally, it's not the easiest to fatigue them if you don't have any Spectral Shield value, so you probably still need that aura value. Because if they're just like hitting you with two card sixes and sevens and you're blocking with two cards and over and over again like you're you're gonna fall behind so you do need a way to claw back um some value with your with your weapon yeah and levia typically has a couple of good dominate cards so if you do fall below like four they could just like hit you with one attack and you'll die to that so yeah you can't really rely on the heralds getting through but if you are stuck with extra cards it is still worth swinging your herald because it does force a card out of their hand that they sometimes it can be awkward like maybe that's a card that they actually really wanted to play or they have i don't know smash with big tree that doesn't actually have a block value so so attacking them with heralds is something you can do but you don't want to be keeping cards in your hand and taking damage to do it yeah yeah when they pop when you use two cards and they use they only have to give you one card to just block the whole card you you want to avoid that situation as much as possible obviously sometimes the via has some off turns and when they have an off turn just ask for one card from their hand and they'll they'll have to give it to you or or then you're just doing the the above rate thing as prism and you can take away the game from them anything else before we go on to chain oh binding beam is very good against dominate so make mm, sure you, if you have them in your sideboard mostly the red one make sure you bring it in against uh the via yeah and also good against the the poppers so you can sometimes sneak a herald through a uh, dream weavers goes a long way in this matchup as well because you can just be like yeah, I'm going to use this. This is one where you can be like, I have a red protection in my deck and I'm going to use it on my red protection to make them give me cards or give me a spectral shield. And that's like, okay, chain. You've kind of mentioned it already, but one of the ways you can win against chain is fatigue. I think often that is kind of the case because he just like he decks himself pretty quick and you only push so much damage. So I think you're often winning through fatigue against chain. What does that look like? Is this like, are you block out fatigue, taking no damage? Are you trying to swing some attacks? Like how how exactly are you fatiguing? Because there is sort of the difference between that proactive fatigue where you're fatiguing with damage and blocking versus where you're just strictly blocking. Uh, how are you approaching the matchup? So when I approach the matchup, I think I'm a little bit, different from most people i approach the matchup as like a full full out blockout fatigue i draft my deck in a way so that it lets me do that but i think in general it's better to do like the mix of like you're attacking with your herald still like the red heralds with good on hits mostly like herald of protection where it actually like generates your life essentially when it hits and pitching with your like the two blocks that's not really actually getting you that much value anyways so you pitch up two block attack with a herald then use the other two cards and block for six it's probably just like the highest amount of value you can gain but you can be a block out deck but if your hand only blocks for eight that could be a disaster you don't always have the 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 luxury of just blocking out chain 
instead of doing that, it might be just better to attack sometimes. Yeah, so you kind of want to know beforehand how many three blocks you have and if it is possible or not. I often favor like slightly more proactive. I'm not really, I am trying to preserve my life total and keeping fatigue as an option and forcing him to play that. And sometimes he takes like a little bit of blood dead and then you hit him with a herald and all of a sudden he's like kind of on lethal range. But I'm trying to take like, Maybe I'll take like one damage to Arsenal my Herald, and then I'll take one damage to keep one card so I can pitch and play that Herald from Arsenal. I'm not like, I'm not taking like tons of damage to trade, but I am willing to take like a point here or, or there to get an efficient attack off and just sort of give them a little bit of pressure because I do think that if the chain deck is good enough and the pilot is strong enough, they should in general be able to overcome fatigue pretty reliably. So often mixing in a little bit of pressure can help quite a bit. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing is if the chain player is very competent, then just blocking for 12 every turn isn't good enough, which is why I say that I I draft my prism deck a little bit differently, where I'm picking up impenetrable beliefs ridiculously highly. I'm picking up red blinding beam quite a bit highly more than other people are and i'm playing these so-and-so bad cards more than other people are just so that i can fatigue chain so i think my most one of the my one of my favorite games i played against uh ian was like he was attacking me but i'm just like oh on on his last turn i actually have 17 points of block because I have a blinding beam in my arsenal, I have a spectral shield, and I have twelve. I have twelve block in my hand, and it's just like, yeah, like just you know, if you can push through seventeen, and I'm at like seven, eight life, or just like if you do twenty five damage to me this turn, you deserve the win. And obviously, that's not happening. So fair enough. It's like if you are if you are going into the draft and being like, I'm never gonna lose a chain by fatiguing. You can do that. If you have like five copies of impenetrable beliefs, like they're not going to push through that. There you go. So yeah, you can do one of the two strategies, I guess, depending on how you want to approach the draft portion. I think it's easier to do the proactive thing because then you just build a good chain, a good prism deck, then and and then you just play good as prism, and then you can win that way. So honestly, I would I would recommend that more. Okay, there you go. Don't don't always follow in Jay's footsteps. Only sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I would just have to say like if you try and draft Prism the way I do, you're gonna you're gonna either win or lose games at one life, and none of the game is gonna be a blowout. Fair enough. Okay, Prism Mirror. I guess I'll start with this one. I just play thirty five cards and hope for the best. I don't even know what to say about this. Just that's what I do. Yeah, I like boarding up. I think the spectral shields are really important here. If you can establish a spectral shield, I'm pretty happy to just block forever and swing with it over and over and over again. And if I can get two spectral shields and my opponent doesn't have any, like, might just win the game. Yeah, yeah. Prism prism mirrors are so interesting. It's just like, because the heralds can't pop each other, the herald value goes up. And so when you are playing against another prism or you know there's another prism on the pod the value of your poppers go up very, very highly. So mm-hmm. you either need to try and line up a pop, like you need to line up a turn where you can pop them and deploy enough pressure back at them. So then you can comfortably have these spectral shield turns. 
Yeah, exactly. So part of the reason the two, like you can just like block three cards, spectral shield, block two cards, spectral shield, arsenal card, block three cards, spectral shield kind of thing. And then when you do get the popper, like hopefully you have an arsenal card and you can go, okay, one card, stop your turn, pitch a blue, iris, pitch a blue, iris, swing a herald from my arsenal. And the game is just, they're not keeping their spectral shields. You're presenting, I don't know, 13 to 15 damage and an on hit and only the last attack has phantasm and they still need to deal with your spectral shields and if they've blocked out with their hand then you just get to keep hitting them with your iris again so you can really run away with the game and often that threshold of having two spectral shields is like your opponent's kind of in danger mode at that point i think the the short short term will be try and get two shields out and then try and attack with both of them will be like a very clean win condition against prism yeah, and and some nice ways, like some nice ways to win this matchup is have more ways to general shield sh- generate shields than your opponent is very good. Red heralds are really good because they come in for the breakpoint. Go again, so we talked about spears and belittle and all of that, but again, that kind of lets you potentially present enough damage to take their shield. And uh, finally, dominate is another way you can deal with the shield. So there there are some ways you kind of, I think you naturally want those anyways, but ideally you have kind of one of those avenues to approach the mirror with a tip would be if you have a dominate like tenacity if your opponent doesn't have any spectral shield consider arsenaling that card and attacking with a different card because it is difficult to pop your opponent's spectral shields in that matchup and tenacity is a really good way of doing so uh finally bolton how do you approach bolton matchup I don't have very much good to say about this matchup, I feel like. I feel like this is the most kind of just try to be on rate, pressure them when you can, play your hand as efficiently as possible, and hope you can outvalue them. Like, that's kind of my approach. I, I don't feel like I necessarily have, like, like, I'm not trying to fatigue them. You're not so reliant on your spectral shields. I feel like you're just trying to do good stuff and stay on rate and hopefully not die to V. I don't know. Mm, i'm actually so the way i i try and line up against bolton is i'm just looking for blinding beams blue yellow or red i'm trying to look for their view of the vanguard turns and lining up the blinding beam to that so they go blinding beam put two cards in soul then you just go yellow blinding beam in response to your you know trying to give a go again and then via the vanguard just hits for three and that their turn's over yeah, be careful about blocking, especially if it's yellow blinding beam, because you could push its power back up. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, don't, don't but do that. Yes, yes, um, I agree. Blinding beam very good in the matchup, and similarly, parable of humility also very good in the matchup because you can kind of like block with you can kind of block with a card, and then they try to give it go again, and then you flash in parable, and then next turn they have to deal with the parable. So like that, all of that is very good. Mm-hmm. the other tricky plays you can do against bolton is like block with an attack action after they charged and then it goes up and it goes up in point they the attack their attack goes up one point so they try and activate their bolton ability and then in response you should just blinding beam it and then then their attack now doesn't hit they lose their go again they get stranded with cards in hand and then you can attack with like a herald or something like that and then then, then you're so far ahead, you can't lose anymore. That makes sense to me. So, Blinding Beam, good card. <laughs> okay, last but not least here, how do you get into the deck? Maybe I should start here, because I know Jay has some uh, 
has some thoughts about the format. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. How do you get into your deck, Yuki? I think the power cards are a great way. So we talked about Invigorating Light, Spears, and Prismatic Shield, um, all being really good ways to get into the deck. But also just like, you can pick Heralds. They're good cards. And if you see, I would say that if it feels like Prism is flowing, I'm seeing Prism cards and I've taken like a light card or maybe I just wasn't like, it was just a pack where I just felt like the Herald was the best card in the pack. Um, and I have like a couple of Heralds, like I'm, I'm pretty happy um, being Prism. Uh, Zealous Belting is a reasonable way to get in the deck as well because it also goes into Leviah. So sometimes you have like two Zealous Beltings and you go, okay, I'll either go Prism or Leviah. And then, oh, I see a Herald. Okay, I'm Prism now. So that's kind of like how I tend to get into the deck. But Prism does, like we talked about just how deep her card pool is. So you can, you can expect her to be contested, I think, but you can also expect that even if she's contested, your deck will still be pretty reasonable most of the time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I I'm on the I'm on the camp where you can probably have like five prison players in a pod and still be okay. I know some a lot of people don't agree with my statement. Actually, that's a good good place. How many prism do you think should be in a pod? Like two and a half. I think if they're I think I think actually maybe like most of the heroes in this set are two and a half, except for maybe Leviah. Um, I think if there's two prisms, the prism decks are going to be pretty insane. If there's three prisms, the decks are like, well, honestly, the decks are still pretty good. They do get worse, though. I think maybe the biggest thing about three prisms for me is that it means some of the other heroes are on like one of or two of their decks also get better. So I think in some ways, it's like maybe even less about your deck getting so much worse with three prisms and more about some of the other heroes getting better decks relatively. So if you can guess, my my strategy for getting into prism is no pivot, no scout. I will pick up prism card pack one, pick one. I will pick up a prism card pack one, pick two. And so forth until I literally do not see any prism cards in a pack. And then in that case, I would be picking up generics that can be put into Prism. Like, you know, this is this is how I found out Belittle pretty good in Prism, how Brandish pretty good in Prism, Overload pretty good in Prism. Like, just every generic except for Memorial Ground and Talisman of Dowsing, pretty good in Prism. Prism can do a lot with a little. And um, I think if you're really, I don't know, I, I still think that if you are comfortable drafting your seed and drafting multiple heroes, there is, it is, you can do that and be successful in this format. But I do think that Prism is like relatively easy to draft, just like very high floor. So it is a very safe way to go. And um, the only thing I'll say is that Prism is the deck I expect to be the most contested um, in draft. So. I'm interested to see how this how this plays out because I feel like early on it was like very very light hero heavy, which did kind of make the shadow heroes like really good. Like if you're the only chain, your deck's pretty nuts. But then like as things get more even, Prism becomes really good. So there's this like weird sliding scale of like if everybody forces Prism and like one person's chain, that chain's gonna have a field day. But if everybody's sort of like I'm gonna just play open and draft whatever and just lets the prisms concentrate then the prisms will be very good so not totally sure what's optimal in this set but i think that there's multiple approaches you can take all i have to say is if you're at canadian nationals and you're sitting to my right look you can pick you can cut all the prism cards you're not gonna push me off just not not possible 
not possible. I had a draft where there was like three prisms to my right, and I was prism. I was not moving. I really want to see. I really want Jay's pod nationals to be all people who have listened to on the bobble, and they all just like, "Yep, we're all playing prism, no matter what." And then some sicko will just like have the entire shadow pool to themselves and crush everyone. <laughs> yeah, as long as that shadow player goes chain instead of levia, I think I have a chance. <laughs> I feel like my the cards that I'm picking up is slightly different from all the other people. And even I'm talking about this, like people, even after I hype up Binding Beam so high, people's not going to pick this card. I'm still going to get a pick three and I'm going to be super happy about this card. You know, people still going to pass me impenetrable beliefs because as we said, like Spears of Serality is a good card. So they're going to pick that over this card. And then I'm going to get the impen- impenetrable belief, <laughs> you know? Like people's gonna people's gonna underrate belittle and they're gonna be like, oh sick, I have this belittle. Brandish yellow. I, I love brandish yellow. Good enough. Honestly, I- I'm at the point where if a card blocks for two, it's good enough in Prism. So <laughs> anything else before we wrap up? I-, I don't have much to say. Um viewers, you decide for yourselves. You're you're all adults. Well, maybe. Many of you are adults, and if you're not, you still can make decisions for yourself. You can follow in Jay's footsteps if you like. I actually think it is it has legs. I've seen Jay do very well. It is a thing that you can do. Um, I think there are multiple ways to be successful in the format, though. So it's really going to be ultimately how you want to approach the format and you know, maybe experiment with a few different strategies and see what works for you. Oh, sorry. One, one more thing I do want to say. Um, we didn't talk touch about this card at all. It's a Tremor of Iatharel. I think that's how you pronounce pronounce this card. Uh, this card is also pretty good in Prism. It's um, most people just treat this card as a pure chain card, but it is a generic. And if you pitch a blue, banish the soul, and attack with Tremor, it attacks for six, and you make a Spectral Shield. So that's basically a two card seven, and that is very very good. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And if you have two blues, you can. Make a spectral shield, swing the spectral shield, tremors. So yeah, that seems really solid. Yeah, it's just, it's it's. I think if you are gonna go the no pivot, no, the sorry, no pivot, no scout line with prism, you really, really have to understand how every generic in the set interact with prism. Which other bad generic you have to play to make your deck functional. So if you're gonna go the no pivot, no scout route. You gotta you gotta dig deep into the bad commons of the set. All right. There you have it, folks. I think that's gonna wrap up our show. And I just wanna say next time you're at your armory, you can remember what Jay said. When you have bad cards in your deck, you can draft more bad cards to pair with them, and then you might have something great. Or you might just have a bad deck. I don't know. But <laughs> but if you can figure out the puzzle, you might have something great. Until next time, thanks for listening. You can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Yukili Bender. Jay is at Uweta Jay. Or you can email us directly at onthebobble at gmail.com and send us any of your questions, feedback, comments, and so on. We'd love to hear from you. Also, in the comments down below, I'm kind of curious, what do you think about Prism in this format? Do you think Prism is hands down the best deck or do you think this is a format where you should be staying open how many prisms are good to have in a pod um i I know i feel like there's some disagreement about all of this kind of stuff in the format and i'd be really curious to hear some of the viewers thoughts about that but yeah that's it for tonight 
and thanks for listening.